Hi, I'm Diora and this is Broccoli Book Club, a socially progressive podcast aimed at analysing timely and thought-provoking reads. As we mentioned in the last episode, Christopher Wiley is currently working on his new book and was unable to join us. So this episode is an author special featuring two of the most exciting UK writers to emerge in the last few years, Chelsea Quachi and Ori Ogunbi. Taking Up Space, The Black Girl Manifesto for Change is a book which acts as a guide to surviving some of the most prestigious universities in the world, addressing microaggressions, decolonizing of the curriculum, mental health and navigating student life. Ore and Chelsea met at Cambridge and decided to curate the book together, interweaving experiences of other black women who studied in some of the UK's top universities. Contributors include journalist Misha Fraser-Carroll, Fope Olalei, who used to be the NUS Black Students Officer, digital content creator Mikai McDermott, and many more. Taking Up Space was also the first book to be published on Stormzy's Penguin imprint, hashtag murky books. Chelsea is a history graduate from Homerton College, Cambridge, and she's just graduated from the University of Law and is now a solicitor. Ore is a Nigerian-British politics and international relations graduate from Jesus College, Cambridge, and is currently working as a special assistant and speechwriter to the Vice President of Nigeria. Just giving you a heads up, you may hear some background noise during this interview. I kicked off the conversation by finding out what books Chelsea and Ore felt have shaped them as writers. For me, Purple Hibiscus by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. So that you know who is who, this is Ore. Pieces of African literature I read as a teenager. It's serious, it's very real, you know, it kind of gave me a sense of like a Nigeria that maybe I hadn't even encountered before. So that was big for me because ever since then I've been reading so much more African literature, so many more black women. And so I think that was just a very big transition point for me. The Wretched of the Earth by Frantz Fanon is the, the only book I read for my personal statement when I was going to uni, but I kept referring to it back for the whole of my uni time. It was very important for opening me up to a sense of black consciousness and like anti-colonial politics, which I think also really shapes how I think, especially in terms of academia. And a third book, I'm going to say Homegoing by Yagyasi. That was big for me because I'm very passionate about Nigerians in the diaspora and kind of how we can forge those links and have like really constructive dialogue between Nigerians at home and Nigerians away. And Homegoing made me think about how intertwined the stories of Africans on the continent and Africans abroad actually are in just a very weird kind of way. And I love that all the three books I can talk about are written by black authors because I think that's very important to me. I remember obviously doing English literature at school. And this voice belongs to Chelsea. Shaped my life, didn't necessarily have like a huge impact, but definitely in terms of looking at literature. So this is a bit rogue, but Cormac McCarthy, The Road. I don't know if any of you guys had to ever read that for school. It's this book about this dad and his son, but essentially the way it's written, there isn't any punctuation. It's just like a constant flow that really introduces you to, you know, syntax and punctuation. And I remember looking at that when we were in secondary school and I thought, oh, this is really interesting, like what you can do with words, how you can play around with words. And, you know, this was the first opportunity as a class that we all sat down and 
really spoke about our thoughts about the book. I'd say it shapes my life in terms of having an opinion about literature, right? Which obviously once we got to university, that was able to develop. But I'd agree with RF and on black skin, white masks, I think, again, is a really good, interesting theoretical read. But interesting in the sense that it's really poetic and he just goes on like a massive rant <laughs> and just asks loads of questions. And then on the other side, you get this really concise, interesting debate and discussion about, you know, the positionings of black people within the world and within society and within a colonial structure. So I definitely say that was one that's shaped my life. And then again, I say it all the time, Alice Walker, The Colour Purple. It just made me so, 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 so upset. But again, an interesting read and like a, a something that was different in terms of the way you read it and how you read it. So I'd say, yeah, those are probably the ones that have shaped my life. So I actually want to ask you a few questions about the process of writing Taking Up Space. Why was it so important to both of you to write this book? I didn't feel like I had seen my experiences very well as a black British woman in education as well, represented in literature that already exists. And also because I had spent so much of my time at uni mentoring other young black girls, it was like, okay, this is an opportunity to provide a resource that even when I cannot personally mentor people, they have all of our best advice in one place. It was an opportunity for us to make black women feel seen. And I think after the article, it was like, okay, there are a lot of people who share these sentiments that actually putting pen to paper is therapeutic, not just for me, but also for um, black women who are students and who are also going to go through these experiences on their own knowing that you're not the first one, that you're not the first to feel all these feelings and feeling validated in that, I think was really important. So on the one hand, it was to serve as kind of to fill in the gap of like mentorship, which I think a lot of black women can sometimes lack. And I cannot be that for all the hundreds and thousands that we come across. But it was also therapeutic for us. And then we also hope that it validates the multitude of feelings that black women in education feel, especially in, in predominantly white spaces. We both felt like these were conversations that we were having every day at university and also conversations that didn't start with us as well, which I think is really important. It's been going back way before us, but I think for a lot of people and for especially a lot of young black women, their contributions have just been footnotes in history. And I think for us, we were given this huge opportunity to be able to speak up and for something that we knew would be widely publicised, thankfully well received as well. So we thought this is just a perfect opportunity to not only, you know, speak about our experiences, but champion other people who have been doing stuff as well. So I think, yeah, the whole process of writing was about just making our voices heard and also those around us and those people who inspired us as well. That's amazing. So like being a big sister almost, you know, to someone who's um, starting uni. And also, I guess a lot of your book is about decolonizing the curriculum and institutional racism within academia. Do you think since writing the book, the conversations have moved forward? It seems to be on more people's agendas, which is always a good start. But yes, yeah, sometimes the quality of the conversation is a little bit disappointing in that it is just, oh yeah, let's throw in a couple authors. Oh, you know, it's still very upsetting that it's taken this long for these conversations to be had. And a lot of the reception around taking up space, especially from older black women, is we've been having these conversations for decades. Like, thank you guys for carrying on the conversation, but also we're so disappointed that this is a conversation that you guys are still having to have. 
And so I just feel like this whole, you know, everyone acting like they're hearing about these issues for the first time is just so disingenuous. And it is really like a big middle finger to the work of all the people who have been trying to have these conversations for decades. But then again, I'm also trying to be like, okay, how can we make sure that this isn't just a trend, um, that this is actually what the future of education looks like, that it's constantly having conversations, it's constantly trying to do better by black students. But yeah, there's no simple, easy way to do it. It does kind of have to be a very radical thing. It really does require us to transform how we think. Even us as black students who are trying to have these conversations, it gets really deep for me, like as a Nigerian, to start thinking about the fact that, well, I can have all these conversations about decolonization, but I also went to Cambridge. I also left Nigeria and an opportunity to maybe even study there, to study at Cambridge. Yeah, I've come back to Nigeria, which is all fun and great. But like, what work am I doing on the ground to make sure that Nigerians who are at home are also having that same kind of experience of we need to decolonize our minds and our mindsets and how we think about knowledge production and things. I mean, my knowledge of Nigerian history, I had to go and seek out myself because I wasn't getting enough of that from the schools that I went to. It's so much bigger than just one university putting some things on their curriculum. It's going to require these conversations being sustained beyond just the walls of like Cambridge and like UK and American universities. It's such an overwhelming conversation to have, but it's so necessary. We have to keep the conversation alive. It's interesting. I think the whole decolonizing conversation has in some ways, definitely not all, been, I think, hijacked in the sense that when we talk about these things, we're not as critical and we're not as nuanced. Like decolonizing the curriculum isn't just about, and again, Aura speaks about this in her chapter really well. It's not just about throwing a few black and brown authors into the reading list. It is also decolonizing who the gatekeepers are of academia and who they're letting in and what type of information they're funding, what research they see as valuable. So yeah, I think universities are, are definitely recognizing that it's an urgent issue it's an issue that doesn't just affect us but everyone it will make everyone a better student to have a more wide and comprehensive understanding of our history and the way that it's been conceived throughout time so yeah I'm having this like tug of war between it's changing but maybe in (laughs) ways that you know some people won't be happy with some people will be happy with I'm guessing since you've published a book, you must have had a lot of people asking you for advice. What are your biggest tips to aspiring writers out there? Or anyone who wants to challenge the status quo? Chelsea. I saw a tweet the other day about how writing and the writing process isn't practically and quite literally about the writing, which may sound a bit weird, but it is about experiencing the talking to people the running around like a headless chicken being stressed all of that stuff it is about the process and I think especially when we were writing it's quite easy to lose sight of that because you're chasing deadlines and maybe you've got your marketing team who want this and then your publicist wants to do this and I think for people who especially want to challenge the status quo as well just remember why you're writing And remember who you're writing for. And I think especially for young black women like ourselves, again, I think it's it's nice that we're now in a space where you don't feel like you have to be pigeonholed into writing about race, into writing about diversity, equality. 
it just in a short summary, like understand that it's a process and, you know, it's, it's not just about the writing, which I think is really important. My advice would be to write. And I feel like everyone says that and it's a bit like kind of cliche, but I wouldn't have got any of my writing out there if I hadn't actually one day just sat down and be like, you know, I'm going to write something. And it was birthed from like a sad-ish place. It was a low time when I wrote the article, my letter to my fresher self. But if I hadn't actually sat down and written that, we might not be having this conversation. There might be no book. Start writing. Like writing is actually one of those things that you, you don't really need anyone's permission to do. It starts from journaling, you know, but it's also pitching articles and writing articles. It could be a blog that you you host. Yeah, you're putting some ideas to paper. You don't know how they'll become useful what they might turn into, how they might take on a life of their own, but at least you've put them down and you've taken it from just being an idea in your head to actually, that you've actually put it out in the world. Obviously representation has got way better, like I'd say in the last couple of years, but it's still obviously not great. Do you think when we do see people who might represent our experiences or our ideas, sometimes they're so excellent, you're like, wow, I feel like I can't ever even reach that height. Yes, definitely. I also think because people don't know enough about the work that the editors do. Our book would not be what it was without the editors that we had. The magic is in the editing. I'm saying this maybe as, as someone who literally all I'd written before this book was one article. Or apart from a couple essays at uni, that was all that I had really written and yet managed to write half a book. And I just think if people knew it's more than just you and your skills. It's like, we wrote this together, we had each other to help. And I think just remembering that it's more than just the authors themselves and we don't come with our ideas or with our writing perfect or fully formed. If you both could have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, so maybe not when just before you're going to uni, but a much younger version of yourself, what would you say to yourselves? I think for me personally, just having confidence and knowing when to speak up, knowing when to listen, knowing when to contribute, things like that. I think ever since I was young, I was always really, really, really hypersensitive of what people would think about me, whether they'd have critiques, being liked, things like that. But I think this whole process has definitely taught me just have confidence and know your worth. Confidence takes you a long way and you'll be surprised. And once you start to exercise it, it makes a massive difference, even to just how you view yourself and your, your own relationship with yourself. That's really important. It also does have an impact on how the people you surround yourself with as well, right? Well, do they kind of give you confidence? So for example, someone like Aura, she gives me confidence and she helps me to become a better person. Gosh, sounds like a love story. It is a love story. No. Um, I would tell myself to get rid of my life plan. I literally had my life planned out till I was 45. I'm not exaggerating. I had to get this in order for me to get this. And if I didn't get that, then I wouldn't get the next thing and I wouldn't get the next thing. And I actually remember when I got to early stage of uni, one of my friends said, you need to change that so it looks a bit more like an if chart and it needs to allow for when things don't go according to plan. And I was like, no, 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 everything's going to go according to plan. What are you talking about? And it, it didn't, but I'm still living my dreams in a weird and wonderful kind of way. So I would just tell myself to calm down and not try and take control of all of my life plan. I couldn't have told you that I would be writing a book. You could not have told me, you couldn't have told my English teacher that I'd write a book, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like there's no way, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have laughed in your face. And if I had just stepped away from that life plan a little bit 
I might have been more appreciative of some of the things that had happened. So whether that be like rejections, I might have seen them in a different light if I understood that, you know, there's a better plan that this is leading me to as opposed to, oh my God, you failed. And yeah, it just feels like God had an even bigger and better plan for me. So I should have got rid of whatever plan I thought I had for myself. I want to know, like, what's the one thing you learn about yourself while writing Taking Up Space? I think I learned that I'm actually really tough on myself. Like, I just need to give myself a break. <laughs> I think, especially when we were writing, it was really hard. I was like, okay, you know, this needs to be done by this. This needs to be done by that. Rain or shine, I would always, always, always get the work in. I guess for some that would sound like a good thing, but let's say for context, like my sister was getting married. Instead of being like, okay, I'm gonna speak to my supervisor, maybe arrange a different deadline, a different time. And I remember that weekend I was really sick as well. I'd caught a really bad virus. But regardless, I remember I got this work in and I managed to read like 10 books within a couple of days, write this 2,500 word essay, and go to my supervision. And again, I look at something like that and I don't think that's impressive. I, I see that as, you know, somebody who doesn't have boundaries and doesn't kind of value themselves. And I think definitely what I've been learning, especially recently, is that, yeah, you just need to cut yourself some slack. I mean, we're 23 years old. We're actually babies. We're so, so, so young, like literal babies. And so, yeah, I think I'm just kind of learning boundaries knowing when to say no again which is so important but yeah I think that was an interesting quite deep fact that I learned about myself um I think for me I learned that I can write I definitely had all kinds of imposter syndrome about how are we writing a book like I can't believe we're are you sure we're the ones who should be writing this book all that kind of stuff but like it's had and it is still having the effect that we wanted it to have, which means that we've done something right. It's a physical reminder every time I feel like inadequate or I can't write this, I can't write that, that actually I can write. And there's people out there who believe enough in our writing to pay money to read it. It's just a nice reminder that like I actually can. And lastly, I just want to know if you are working on any projects or potentially a second book or anything that might be coming up that's interest to you know your fans your readers I guess in terms of projects obviously we've got this tv series which we're spending a bit of time on or in terms of another book I think it's something that we just want to come really naturally but also I get I guess or I might want to write something on our own I might want to write something on our own but it's nice that the floor is open and again Penguin have been so open to us as well if, if we want that opportunity to come up again. So in short, no, <laughs> but you, you, we never know. So there we Love go. Love that. Keep your eyes peeled, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not ruling it out at all. I think I'd really love to write something that just inspires young Nigerians across the world. I don't know how that's really going to take shape. You know, I journal about work because I think people find that kind of stuff interesting and maybe one day that will be shared in some kind of medium if an opportunity does come up and the right idea comes and the authentic idea comes then I might do that. I want to say a huge thanks to Chelsea and Ore for coming on today's show and thank you for listening to Broccoli Book Club. In next month's book club we'll be discussing Humankind by Rutger Bregman 
So get reading now and send in your thoughts and comments via voice note to voicenote at broccolicontent.com. Don't forget to share the podcast and join the conversation using the hashtag Broccoli Book Club. And if you liked what you heard, why not leave a review on your favourite podcast app? I've been your host, Diora. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Diora. Broccoli Book Club is produced by Jaja Mohammed, assistant produced by Rory Boyle, executive produced by Rene Richardson and mixed by Ben Williams. This is a Broccoli production. <laughs>